Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. It's a great day for talk radio, the Oakley Show Weekend Edition, where we play a few of this past week's interviews that I thought were, well, worth running again if you missed them the first time around. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we've got a story that's wild, like literally and figuratively wild. But before that, we know that the epicenter of this global pandemic in the Western world has become New York City. Most people have hightailed it out of Dodge, but not the naked cowboy of Times Square. We spoke on Tuesday, and this virus doesn't worry him one bit. John Oakley, let me tell you something. I'm the naked cowboy. I'm keeping it real for you. I'm the naked cowboy. You've got to do what you got to do. Despite coronavirus, get her done. What? All right, there you are. Uh, you're sort of a kindred spirit to Larry the Cable Guy. Uh, can we call you Naked or Naked Cowboy NC? How do you prefer to be referred to? My name's Robert. Oh, that's right, Robert Burke. Well, that's it. Uh, but you are known as worldwide as the Naked Cowboy in Times Square, usually flush with people. What are you doing? You're still performing despite no crowds? Well, there's a lot of people there. It's still the busiest place on earth. And every single day, I just I, I just maintain my routine. I run for about 40 minutes in the morning. I read my books. I try to get inspired. I get inspired, sorry. And then I drive there. I park in the same spot every day in my own little place. I've been parking there for 21 years. So nobody's touching my car. I'm not touching anyone. I use my uh, face mask and my hand sanitizers. And I just work every single day. It's all the same thing. No different for me. Well, that's that's kind of impressive. But you're not afraid then of picking up uh, this virus and you know infecting anybody. That that not a consideration. Well, you know, as we've already heard, Doctor Phil <laughs> and a few other geniuses uh, actually commingling with other people, uh, subjecting yourself to the cold and the elements, and being around people all day actually immunizes you to all of their little this and that, the little tit-tats. So, you know, I was never even thinking of it being a problem. And as my thoughts created my world, it's not a problem. Well, there you go. You're like a one-man herd immunity thing. Uh, I mean, if you're semi-naked in Times Square, whatever the weather, uh, you're probably immune to a lot of things, aren't you? Well, you know, also, you know, we I actually left on January, I think, 18th. I went down to Mardi Gras. I drove 20 hours. I mean, not in itself. That's worse than a quarter. And I went to Mardi Gras, did seven days, drove 12 hours to Siesta uh, Key, did uh, spring break. Then I went up to Daytona. And did, I was, on my first week, I was going to do two weeks, but I heard the quarantine, or I heard the uh, national emergency from Cuomo. So we raced up here, and now we're on day like 43, like I was looking for. You know, your self-confidence, and your belief in your own abilities is the only thing that matters. If people got off Facebook and stopped listening to the news and everything else, like me, 
you wouldn't even know what's going on. And <laughs> what is going on, I don't want to be a lack of compassion here, but the point of the matter is that, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world. You should stay strong, work hard, uh, believe in yourself, do the things you need to do, and just get her done. Yeah, yeah boy. Get you gotta do what you gotta do. Well, you know, that's interesting. You put yourself in these positions where you could have picked up the virus, and who knows, you might still have it. Maybe you're asymptomatic, uh, but you're really plowing on through. Uh, this ain't going to fail you. So there are some positives to take away from this whole thing. I mean, are you noticing people are nicer? Uh, maybe. I'm just curious. Let's back up a little bit. How the hell do you get a parking spot for 21 years in Times Square? You got some special arrangement with the local constabulary? Well, I went when I first got here many, many years ago, 21 or whatever it is. Actually, it's 20 years, six months, and 28 days today. <laughs> I went into that garage and I parked my car. And I started sweeping the garage when I was there. My father's a big clean addict. So I always left the garage. I mean, I, I make, I love everyone there. They love me. I've known them all. I, I, I've been to funerals for people who have died there. I've gone and visited them in the hospital. I mean, again, I'm a, I'm a community guy, just like my father. So I always park there. And at one point, they gave me free parking. And now I pay more because everybody wants 10 times the tip. It doesn't matter. I always try to improve my circumstances, my situation. So anyway, back to your question. Yes, because there's nobody out, everybody is 10 times friendlier than ever. Everybody, even I, I literally am busier now than I am on the busiest day of my best summer because every single person is interested. Why are you out here? Or they say, I can't believe you're out here today. Because I've done not do I know these people. You know, they see me. You know, like they they respect the fortitude. They respect everything else, and I respect theirs as well. So um, I agree. Everybody's nicer, sweeter. The world. It's like God did a spring cleaning, and all the good people are coming out one after another, and we're rebuilding America. God bless Donald Trump. Well, that's uh, another interesting question because, you know, he's drawn some heat uh, for saying that, you know, we can start opening things up. You never shut down. So obviously you guys are sort of kindred spirits, aren't you? Uh, when Donald Trump announced that he was running for president and came down the escalator at the Trump Tower that very same day as I was driving over to Queensboro Bridge, it brought me to tears. Again, my father's a career politician, a fireman for 31 years. He's a very community organized guy. I'm from Ohio. It's a red state, all that kind of stuff. I was born and raised to believe that I'm an individual. i got to make my own way. Nobody's paying nothing for me. Nothing is free, all that kind of stuff. So when I heard Donald Trump, I was freaking in tears. And then I went there that day, and I played at the Trump Tower every day until we went to his inauguration. I went to Washington. I did the inauguration on a big mall lot. And I've been a Trump supporter every time, every since that day. And I have a Trump song that has gone viral hundreds of times. Are you ready? Yep. Trump's taking those regulations off the backs of those corporations. Sounds like a good idea to me. Sing along whenever you're ready. <laughs> Trump's don't the wall. That wall's going to protect us all. Sounds like a good idea to me. Wow. Right there. I mean, uh, we can hear the applause, but it's sort of virtual applause because everybody's scattered to the four winds, and uh, yet 
you know that people are on board. For the most part, I'm guessing there are some folks who are wondering, geez, what the hell? But, you know, you're emblematic of uh, New York because you're uh, out there, you're brash, you're undeterred, resilient, all these words. And so uh, similar to the states that uh, you've got this rugged individualism uh, that nothing's going to hold you back or down. Boy, the naked cowboy in Times Square. By the way, have you ever met Donald Trump in person? You said you were at the inaugural. You were also at Trump Tower. Ever meet him? I was there every day, but I never actually saw him. I did. I did see a couple. Uh, I saw Junior and uh, Eric from a distance. I also met Kelly on Kellyanne Conway, and uh, what's the other guy? Uh, I don't know the governor from Texas. Whatever his name is. Oh yeah, yeah, Ted Cruz. No, not Ted Cruz. Uh, Cruz is a senator. Cruz is a senator. Uh, what is it? Cronin? I don't know. Cronin. I, anyway. I saw- I saw some big wigs, but I, I never got to meet Trump. But I guarantee you, he knows I'm a big supporter. And Are you I, talking I, about Perry, Governor Perry at the time? Yeah, yeah, okay. He doesn't want to break radio silence because I would be considered one of those crazy Trumpsters. And I understand, <laughs> so until he gets reelected, he's probably not going to mention me. I don't understand why I would see you flying under the radar. I mean, uh, this, this is one of those hey, things where I'm the cowboy hat... I'm better than Kanye West, for crap's sake. Well, yeah, and he got an invite to the Oval Office, so what's going on? Oh, every time I see that, I feel a little slapped in the face, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm a Trump. I'll wait. There, I'll wait. there you go. Patience is a virtue. You sound to me like a very virtuous guy. Listen, I, I really appreciate your weighing in, taking some time out from your busy schedule, but uh, you do offer a lot of entertainment and lift spirits at an otherwise difficult time for a lot of folks both on the radio in Times Square, and uh, hope to pass you by when we're in New York, and uh, we'll have to drop by, <laughs> drop you a line. Thanks for joining us uh, and giving us some of your time this afternoon, Robert. I got my cell phone in my undies case I get a booty call. When nothing's on vibrate, it sure tickles my balls. It sure tickles his balls, you got that? Okay, I didn't say that, he said that. And he's the naked cowboy of Times Square in New York City. Wild. Just wild. And speaking of wild, up next, another story from the Big Apple that ticks the box and it ticks it hard. Courtesy of a man and his Bengal tiger. The Oakley Show Weekend, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Oakley Show Weekend continues. Coming up, the story of a Florida lawyer roaming the beaches dressed like the Grim Reaper. But in the meantime... Carol Baskin killed her husband, whacked him. Can't convince me that it didn't happen. Fed him to tigers, they snacking. What's happening? Carol Baskin. So the Carol Baskin story continues. That's sort of an offshoot from the Tiger King that has been the rage on Netflix, where it's brought much mirth and merriment, as well as a sense of shame for having watched it. All seven episodes and now an eighth added. But, uh, you know, before this whole phenomenon took place, uh, something else that reared its head in New York City uh, had happened many, many years prior. On Tuesday, we were joined by Corey Gilgannon of the New York Times to explain the legendary Tiger Man of New York city so it starts about 20 years ago when uh, uh, a construction worker named antoine yates who later on when his tiger was discovered would would be given the nickname tiger man of new york city <laughs> at the time i guess it was in 2001 he brought home a little tiger cub a few weeks old started bottle feeding it and uh you know he's and then within weeks or if not months uh you know he 
he's he's going to get chicken thighs at the local supermarket in Harlem where he lives, and he's keeping this this tiger cub, which is very quickly becoming growing into a full grown tiger in the fifth floor of a Harlem housing project, and. Uh, you know, within a year, the thing grows to nearly a full-grown tiger. We're talking about 400-plus pounds. Mm. So uh, he had to feed this thing, and you're saying he's bringing home chicken thighs from the local grocerie. How much was this tiger eating when it grew to full uh, full size? Well, they say he was eating about 20 pounds of chicken a day, mixed with other stuff. I didn't get into the specifics. Okay? So I spoke to him. I spoke to Antoine about a week ago for the article that I was writing Uh which was kind of spurred by the interest in Tiger King. And, and some, a lot of New Yorkers, and a lot of them don't know it, but a lot of them remember that when they, that uh, before there was Tiger King, there was a Tiger Man who kept a full-grown tiger in, 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 you know, in the fifth-floor uh, apartment. Well, how do you manage yeah, to do he, that? He ate I mean, a lot. <laughs> well, okay. It eats a lot. Uh, I'm guessing it's, you know, got to defecate or do whatever. The smell must have been permeating the hallways, although, you know, in New York City, necessarily, that isn't something that's going to be flagged. <laughs> but uh, did, did this go unnoticed by neighbors? I mean, how long did the guy actually have the tiger? Well, so he had it about from two to three years. And, uh, and in that time, you know, it did grow to a basically i guess full body size and it was no it was noticed by neighbors but it wasn't but then you know but the neighbors this isn't really a neighborhood where they're going to go run into the authorities i mean stuff is kind of kept in house and uh, maybe it's kind of a local snicker you know and but so the authorities didn't really know about it until one day when um this same owner of the tiger mr yates he took in a little kid and the tiger lunged with the kitten and mr yates tried to intervene and he got he got gashed in the leg by you know by the big cat and uh mm. And when he went to the hospital and he told he told the doctors there that he got bit by a pit bull, you know, so as not to give away his exotic <laughs> and illegal and illegally kept pet, the doctors were a little bit dubious and within a day or two the police showed up at the apartment and the kind of jig was up, but I mean they did have, they still have to get the tiger out alive, which was another uh, operation. Yeah, yeah, you gotta tell us about that again. Corey Kilgannon's on the line, New York Times columnist has written about New York City's Tiger Man. Uh, this is going back about 20 years ago. Predates the Tiger King, but in the interest of these big cats, uh, I mean, this story is uh, as current as they come. So, you know, you mentioned he had the little kitten he brought in with the big tiger. Uh, that wasn't the entire uh, menagerie. He had quite a retinue, didn't he? He did. He had, he had an alligator that was over five feet. He kept him in a kind of a, a, a quasi-bathtub type of thing, a fiberglass tank. And he had other exotic animals, which he didn't really want to get into detail with. And I say, come on, you can't get prosecuted for this anymore. But I think that he's he's a lover of exotic animals. And I don't think he's getting, he, you know, he's so now he's living in Philly, uh, in the Philly area. Uh, and uh, I think I don't think he's giving up on giving up on his dream. I mean, the whole thing was he got the tiger as part of he wanted to set up a sanctuary north of New York City in, in more rural, rural area in upstate New York to uh, not close, not that close to you guys. But I mean, I would say maybe two hours north of New York. But um, he wanted to set up in a sanctuary, you know, where kind of man and beast would live in harmony or something. I don't think it would resemble a Tiger King uh, uh, <laughs> sanctuary, but, you know, he wouldn't really elaborate on uh, his future plans or even what they were for this. And he, he said he was keeping Ming the Tiger in his apartment in Manhattan, you know, waiting for the right time that he could, he, you know, take him upstate and be part of this bigger, uh, you know, colony. Well, yeah, the whole idea was his basic Garden of Eden vision that he held. Right, right. He he believed that, you know, man and beast, and, you know, they could live in harmony and, uh, you know, without cages and that type of thing. And then for, for, for a couple of years, he did and, until uh, it all went south after the, uh, you know, the, the kitten incident. But, uh, you know, for, for two or three years, he lived 
he had Ming in there. He played with him. He described how he really, you know, devised little, uh, you know, play sessions and trying to keep him, trying to keep him as wild as he could within the confines of a Manhattan apartment. Yeah, in this Manhattan apartment, by the way, I don't know how much square feet, but uh, my spies tell me he also had bear cubs, Rottweilers, hyenas, monkeys, snakes, a llama. Well, this is what neighbors were saying when, like, reporters like myself and uh, and and law enforcement went around trying to speak to neighbors, saying, "Well, you know, why didn't you tell anybody? Or what did you notice?" And you know, every neighbor, of course, comes up with another crazy animal that he had in there. Uh, you know, <laughs> was it true? I don't know because Yates never really spilled the beans, but he kind of also he was a little bit coy about it. He didn't want to get into details. He could have said no, but he didn't say no. He just said he didn't want to get into details. He wouldn't elaborate on it. He did say he had he had all kinds of exotics in there, you know. Well, the police bust is also an interesting part of this story, uh, where you alluded to it earlier, where uh, that was a whole uh, expedition in and of itself. They didn't just knock on the door and then come in and take the tiger out. Out now, did they? Uh, what went down with the tiger's removal? What they did was when the emergency services unit came. They drilled a, uh, a hole in either the, one of the walls or the floor. This is differing accounts. And they stuck a little camera. I guess they have these, this type of equipment. They stuck a little camera through the hole. And they ascertained that, yes, there is a tiger in there. And, uh, and once having done that, they sent um, an officer kind of rappelling down the side of the building, on the outside of the building, uh, mm. with a tranquilizer gun. And uh, once he got to the window, yes, the tiger was not only there, but, like, you know, was, was kind of lunging at the window and roaring. <laughs> You know, and there's pictures of this. Like, the tablet photographers are all over this stuff. You know, this goes out on the police call. And these guys are there almost before the cops are. So there's pictures, actually, wherever my story, and you can see them online, of this of this New York City cop with the tranquilizer gun rappelling down, you know, dangling by a rope. And the tiger guy kind of, you know, lunging at the window kind of at him, you know. Uh, so the cop was successful in actually darting the tiger, and, and they subdued him. And they, uh, I think it took like at least six, you know, men to carry him out on its heart, uh, which you know, a truck, and they eventually got him to a sanctuary. And I, I think it's Ohio. And they also pulled the alligator out too. And they all, they both went <laughs> sanctuary. So, so it was a full-on SWAT operation then. It was, yeah. I mean, I mean, how do you get a tiger out of out of a, a you know public housing complex? That, you know. Had, I guess the answer is very carefully. You know? <laughs> yeah, I would say. Uh, and so uh, at this point, I guess he's busted. Antoine Yates, this is a construction worker uh, who is Tiger yeah. Man. Uh, yeah. What rap did he face and uh, how long did he do and where is he now? He actually did face a few years in jail, which he never wound up um, being sentenced to because he, he you know settled for a plea bargain. Uh, and he wound up only serving a, a few months, but then he, I think he also had a five-year probation that required him not to have any contact with animals, which really crushed him because, you know, of course, he's an animal lover. <laughs> so after having served that, and of course, he was splashed all over the front of the papers, you know, for weeks in the city, and... Um, and uh, the press had, you know, a great deal of, you know, uh, you know, glee, gleefully covering these various, you know, court appearances. And then after he finished his um, his his sentence and his probation, he settled down with, you know, the family has, I guess, um, with relatives in the Philly area. And now I know I know he has a dog one day because his mother was out. He's, he's walking the dog, and I said, "Oh, he's walking the dog." I mean, that's kind of so conventional compared to the guy who kept you know, a Bengal tiger in his car. A dog? Well, that's definitely a bit down market, all things considered. When we return, we head to the Maritimes for a chat with comedian Ron James. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The Oakley Show Weekend Edition continues. 
On Wednesday, we spoke with Ron James. He's a bright comedic mind whose home province of Nova Scotia, sadly, not much of a laughing mood right now after the tragic events of last weekend. Ron James. This uh, shift in the psychic paradigm is, has, uh, has cut me to the marrow uh, back home, of course, uh, a sanctuary defiled. And uh, it will be uh, generations before I'm sure people can can breathe easy. It's uh, it's uh, I, I mean devastating. It, 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 it the level of diabolical planning uh, and terror unleashed by that bottomless pit of hate, courtesy of a a, a coward, it, it, it is hard to fathom. It, it, it you know it's just the magnitude of it is uh, is beyond belief, and so. Uh, and you know, John, uh, I've carried that province in my heart for 40 years, stringing my trap line from Cornerbrook to Courtney Comox. And I mean, the, the stories of home and, and how, um, the spirit of the Maritimes has allowed me to tour the entire country is, uh, has been shaken to the core. Uh, and, uh, everyone who's from there, all of us who are in exile, and have been uh, in exile from our, as I say, our borning lands of lobster blood, <laughs> have uh, always called it back home. And uh, I know my Ontario friends, when I first came up here and got into Second City, they said, how come you're calling it back home? I said, because it is. <laughs> and uh, only for those of us who are from there uh, get it. And uh, I know that uh, when the interprovincial travel restrictions are lifted, I'm going to be... Uh, I'm going to be sitting on my porch down the South Shore with some good friends enjoying dark and stormies and giving thanks for um, the, uh, uh, you know, the circle of goodness that uh, I can I can embrace every time I go back. You know, it's well stated, Ron. I mean, this is something that, uh, as you said, you know, there's been this psyche that's been uh, kind of uh, ripped asunder here collectively in Nova Scotia, uh, most directly, obviously. And you're saying, is there something now that's changed uh, irretrievably? Or uh, is this, you know, something that, uh, you know, as unfortunate as it is, and this black stain uh, of evil, uh, are the folks resilient? Or is it going to change the mood and uh, temperament of Maritimers? I think it's going to have an effect for a while, but they've always been a resilient people. And they've always been uh, a people of fortitude. And uh, I, they, uh, you know, I still think they're going to keep calling Ontarians Upper Canadians because, you know, that's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. It's like maritime Alzheimer's. You forget everything but the grudges. Uh, they, uh, they shouldn't have burned us in 1867, brother. Anyway, there's, uh, you know, there might be a sucker punch coming towards somebody in a tavern in Digby. I don't know. But mm. uh, no, uh, they will move forward. Uh, they will. Uh, they will, um, once COVID is lifted, they'll have a chance to embrace each other and hug and um, celebrate in their own way those lives lived that were ruthlessly cut short. And uh, they will have memorials, they will have benefits, and they will give back to those who suffered. And they will, um, they will never, ever, ever, ever forget it. But forward, they will go. Yeah, it's very personal uh, on every level there because everyone is uh, a part of that greater community. I mean, the small communities and, uh, you know, the extensions of family and everything, if I've got it right, having visited on uh, several occasions, that 
was the thing that struck me. I guess that's sort of endemic to uh, places, you know, that are smaller in scope and, and scale, that people do uh, know each other's business, and, uh, you know, they're they're kind of uh, willing to look after or got each other's backs. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you hit the nail on the head, got each other's back. My mother's 88 years old. We lost Dad uh, three years ago this August, and she's in that home that uh, that uh, phone company man worked on for 50 years, and she's surrounded by uh, neighbors who were raised in that neighborhood as kids, and when their parents passed, they moved into their homes. So she's 88 years old and surrounded on three sides by uh, people who are looking out for her and my sister. And uh, it's and I'm not saying that uh, you don't get that in Ontario or B.C. Or, or, or anywhere else in the country, but that's what I know exists there. And uh, there is, um, for want of a better phrase, I guess, um, uh, an old way of walking through the world, an older way. And it, um, it's like, you know, when Juan came through, uh, people still talk about the fact that my father had, uh, had 14 extension cords running from his basement. <laughs> and, uh, he never, you know, he, you know, he didn't go in the house for one drink. He came out with a tray, right? And uh, God love him. Jeez, he was, uh, I miss him, man. He was uh, the quintessential maritimer, buddy. And it, uh, when I was cleaning his garage out before he passed, uh, he said, you better take a look at that garage. And uh, it took me three dumpsters to mm. get the stuff out that was of no use. The guy mm. had seven, he still has 17 saws. I said, Dad, what in the name of Jesus are you doing with 17 saws? He goes, just in case, Ronnie. And they're all sharp. <laughs> but that was his phrase for everything, just in case, you know, John. And that's what stayed with me because this, these people of the greatest generation, I mean, uh, I mean, he was born to a world of Hobbesian drudgery on the southwest coast of Newfoundland in 1932 when life was short and seagulls were supper. I mean, he was a feral <laughs> wilding who roamed the, the bogs and woodlands living on bake apples, duck eggs, and whatever milk he could suckle from a grazing moose cow without getting kicked in the head. And, yeah, and so the Great Depression, my mother, a woman uh, from Cape Breton, uh, Coal Town Peenery, whose, whose uh, father uh, uh, moiled for coal a mile below the ocean shore uh, uh, floor with a pick and shovel and then put that pick and shovel at the end of a 10-hour day at the bottom mm. of the earth and dug his uh, foundation by hand, and his brother couldn't help him because he was bipolar and kept running away with the dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ronnie James. So uh, you know, you know, I'm thinking... Here we are, this generation who've been told to sit still, go without a haircut for a couple months and watch Netflix. It's like, mm. shut up, you whiners. Uh, you know, <laughs> do your job. Because the light at the end of the tunnel for the Great Depression was the carnage of World War II. There you go. Mm. Wow. Uh, very profound. And uh, by the way, I've never heard the word moiled for gold, uh, except, I mean, it was the uh, legend of Sam McGee there. That got, uh, <laughs> boy, you brought one out of the out of the catacombs on me there, Ronnie. I mean, <laughs> you heard it here, man. Uh, right. I, I got, <laughs> I, uh, my girlfriend was laughing at me the other day. Uh, she's in Ottawa and my buddy is renting my place uh, down in uh, Nova Scotia. And I had him send me some stuff up, right? Because uh, mm. my rod and reel were down there. So I had him send up my rod and reel because, of course, the season opens here May 1st. And I said, uh, send me rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, too, will you? He goes, what? <laughs> I said, send me, rhyme, send me rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I got to memorize that. I heard it's good to stave off the onset of Alzheimer's. And I told her, <laughs> she said, 
don't you think maybe learning a language would come in a little more handy? (laughs) 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 But you know what? I'm going to be drunk Mm. some night. I'm going to be loaded some night. And someone, you know, just before the party's about to dip, I'll launch into that, man. And they'll be there until dawn. So you're planning a a junket to Halifax in the liquor barn, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the liquor barn. When my kid was two, she didn't say her L's. And when I left the house, she used to say, Dad, you're going to go work at the Wicker Barn? Uh, oh, the Liquor Barn. You know what, John? That show started me off in stand-up. I, coming back from L.A. in 93 and writing that show and putting it up in 94, up and down a shaky town, then pulling the best bits out of that and doing Amateur Night again. at the La- Starting again with Amateur Night at the Laugh Resort. And uh, it was a great little club on Victoria. It used to come a lot, I remember. And, yep. uh, yeah, yeah, the liquor barn, <laughs> the liquor barn. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, uh, speaking of the liquor barn and, and, uh, and tradition and family and friends and everything, uh, my father was a very funny man. And uh, he uh, uh, could really remember a joke well. Uh, I can't remember a joke if someone told me. If I write it, I remember. But, uh, anyway, he was in palliative care, and I, I went down to see him. He had, I didn't know, but he had 48 hours left, and I uh, – I went to his side of the bed, and this beautiful uh, nurse had just uh, given him uh, a catheter. And I went to his side of the bed, and he said, Ronnie, am I ever happy to see you? He points down at his crotch and says, look what this beautiful young nurse just picked up for me at Canadian Tire. (laughs) Well, anyway, buddy. Just in case. (laughs) Just in case. Just in case. You got 17 rolls of string, Dad. Oh, yes, geez, buddy, just in case. Just in case what? You got to make your own shoelaces. So it's just, he was always prepared for the other shoe to drop, you know? And uh, it's uh, it's remarkable uh, now how, uh, uh, thankfully, you know, I mean, to get on more of a serious topic here with how the, the lid has been pried off of stuff, uh, that, that uh, the uh, egregious and... Uh, gut-wrenching legacy uh, of uh, elder care in Canada. I certainly hope they get to the bottom of that in Ontario and in Quebec. Once we cross the dark waters of this Rubicon and land on a safer shore, I want to see some heads roll, man. And I don't want to see these guys who own these homes throwing their hands in the water to wash themselves of complicity faster than Pontius Pilate. You know, Hmm. someone's got to be held to account. Amen to that. Ronnie, you've been all over the map. I wanted to talk about that briefly. This is a book. Penguin's oh, yeah. the publisher. Well, tell me about it. Uh, what What do we anticipate when we read all over the map? Because we know you're stand-up, but we've seen you on TV and in clubs and all the rest of that. Is your voice captured in the book as well? And, I mean, as a wordsmith that you are, I mean, putting it into print, uh, it might read like the rhyme of the ancient mariner. <laughs> well, I, 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 I do want it to read... Uh, uh, well, you know, if I was as lucid as Coleridge on opium, writing Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, uh, I, just, I just had it after, I wrote it after a couple of espressos, so I hope I didn't get to it. But, you know, I want the, uh, I want the book uh, to have a, a rhythm like you're traveling the road with me, and, and really that's what it is. It's a road trip between one comedian's ears, embracing the spirit of people in place, uh, where he's lived, where he's, and he's performed, and so it's a um, it's it's a funny love letter to the country, and uh, I'd like to think it might be poignant and, and serious in places, and uh, that's what I shot for. And uh, you know, I I I honor the people who 
who would talk to me when I was traveling, John, before our faces were, you know, pressed into our iPhones, you know, taking an innocuous picture of, you know, some French fries I was eating at a uh, at a gas station in Restigouche. Hey, look at these. You know, <laughs> stupid, right? Pictures of my feet. Oh, gee, look, I drive the car with empty shoes on. You know, just stupid stuff. Anyway, I people would talk to me, mate. And uh, I, I was very diligent in keeping uh, journals and moleskins in the early days. And uh, the publishers uh, said, look, uh, it, you, the humor's got to be here, yes, but, um, it, you know, it has to be linked by a narrative. And uh, so uh, I was concentrating on that, and it took me uh, uh, several runs to get the introduction right, to find the balance between uh, narrative, uh, cogent narrative, and uh, and the funny, because people are going to be picking it up for the funny, and I hope that they discover something a little bit more in there. They, uh, uh, I've said for years that uh, I was able to hear the heartline hum and soul note of a nation singing when I was, you know, traveling through blizzards uh, on white knuckling strips of widow-making asphalt that a Yeti wouldn't wander, trying to get to a gig in the dead of February. But, you know, um, sure, but that theater was filled. And um, all you got to do is make a feudal wage or be broke for uh, several years to never take anything like that for granted. And I thought the greatest uh, the greatest reward, I mean, it was nice to make a living and be able to put my girls through university and build a home and those kinds of things that, you know, every working class kid hopes he can do someday. But um, were the hidden boons in the big wide open and whether it was talking to an, uh, an elder native woman in the Yukon or, or uh, uh, a kid in Saskatoon at a food court or, or a Newfoundland grandmother on a flight to St. John's or, or going kayaking with my kid when she was 15 to the Northwest Territories where we suddenly found ourselves in a what was really, uh, it didn't look like it on the friggin' internet, I'll tell you, but it looked like a halfway house of Quonset huts sinking into the, per- <laughs> into the permafrost that was run by some cyclopean-eyed Viking named Tundra Tom who still had his dinner he stole from the wolves on his sweatshirt in August. <laughs> Savage man. So it's about the country. It's about um, seeing. It's about a lot of things. It's about my days in Los Angeles chasing the American sitcom dream that sired my Canadian one. It's about the bogus, the bogus pursuit of celebrity. It's about meeting Billy Conley at the Montreal Just for Laughs festival years ago, and and him, the wise wizard, just. You know, chewing on a cigar, I asked them, hey, listen, how did a glass Weegian welder become an international sensation? And he looked at me and said, uh, that's a question about fame. Tell the fame, just sing your song. And that was 11 years ago. Just sing your song. And everybody in Canada, you know, always, it's only natural. I mean, we're shoulder to shoulder to the behemoth south of us. Uh, and uh, it's only natural that that one would want to actualize themselves uh, and their calling on that level south of the border that uh, has uh, you know that just has so much to offer. I think it's the only time I'm ever really envious of America is when I see uh, their comedies. You know, uh, 
you know, you'll watch Bill on HBO and you'll go, well, that's that's just working on an entirely different level altogether, right? Or you'll watch or or you'll watch Deadwood or or Breaking Bad or all these brave uh, brave shows, uh, Sopranos that were but had huge money behind them. But 375 million people in America. I mean, you can have half that country hating your stand-up act and still have seven times the population of Canada thinking you're great. Ron James, great Canadian comic, and the book is All Over the Map from Penguin Publishing. Up next, we take the coastline down to the great state of Florida to talk with a lawyer so adamant about social distancing that he's donning not just a mask, but also a cape. The Oakley Show Weekend continues at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Oakley Show Weekend rolling along here. We're all just sort of keeping our heads down for what feels like an interminable period of time until we get this thing under control. But that's not the case elsewhere. Last week in Jacksonville, Florida, the mayor made the announcement that the beaches would be reopened. And he encouraged everyone to practice social distancing. I saw the pictures. Nobody was doing that. Some people would say that's irresponsible and premature because the virus still lurks amongst us. One such is Daniel Olfelder, who we spoke with on Friday. He's an attorney in Florida, and he's resorting to drastic measures to impress this upon people. I've done a number of things the past several weeks. Uh, we started a campaign to actually get our beaches closed temporarily throughout the state, and we were successful in getting a number of them temporarily closed. And then we demanded our governor... Florida Governor, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, to close all the beaches. He refused, so I sued him, and I also sued him to do a closed shutdown of the state, which he did. Um, so we sued him, and but he, the case is still on, on appeal. So the next step, because of the refusal and now all these beaches opening every day, I've decided to don a Grim Reaper suit and travel around the state to various beaches to spread the word that we need to take this more seriously and and not rush to what we're doing. Right. So you're going to be patrolling the beaches, kind of as the spirit of Christmas yet to come. You got the sickle and the whole regalia? I did. Yeah, it just came in. I ordered uh, my uh, uh, cape here. I guess it's a Grim Reaper suit and a and the, the thing to carry with and some gloves. And, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to next Friday... Uh, travel to beaches and other areas in the state to try to uh, help people realize that this is not this is premature and we need to not take these actions and to and, and, and keep people aware of the importance of social distancing so you're going to walk amongst the throng or are you going to pull, post yourself up on a lifeguard stand just in your black grim reaper regalia your suit there with the sickle and every you're going to how are you going to approach this it's a work in progress. Let's just say it, it's. I did never anticipated that I would be talking to you after coming up with this idea, and I'm getting all sorts of support all over the world and interest. So, you know, it's it, it, it's a work in progress. But I will definitely be wearing the suit and trying. And uh, whether there'll be other items that go with it, that's that hasn't been decided. But right now, I'm working on a, a schedule for which beaches we're going to visit because. They continue to open them all over Florida. Yeah, but I mean, a Grim Reaper suit, that's a pretty graphic and stark reminder of, uh, you know, what might await, uh, you know, if people do get the virus and they shuffle off the mortal coil. Uh, so this is something, do you think they'll understand that? I mean, will they compute or process the information that, oh, yeah, I get it now. This is what the guys try to impart here. 
I hope so. I mean, this is a deadly virus. It's killed over 50,000 Americans already. Uh, in Florida, we're getting 1,000 cases a day. Um, it, it, it's a deadly virus. It's highly contagious. It's something that we need to take seriously. And by opening up beaches here in Florida, we're inviting people from all over the world to come here and then spread it or catch it and then go back to wherever they are coming from. So this is a serious problem, and people are not taking it seriously because we're, we're opening up a, a floodgate here. Florida, we have beautiful beaches, and I've fought for years to keep our beaches open. That's part of what, why I realize this is so important because I've been an advocate for public beaches for years. But our beaches are some of the most beautiful in the world, and, they're, and, and, and as soon as we open them, which we are, they're just going to come in, in throngs, and they're going to come to our area and, and spread the virus, get the virus, and then go back home. So we, I want to get back to normal as quickly as possible, but I believe that the progress we've made so far is going to be diminished if we rush to do this. And that's, that's the message I'm trying to send is let's get back to normal as soon as possible, and let's continue the good work we're doing by social distancing and staying at home and not flooding beaches, Disney's closed. But this is a bad move. And if I have to be, a, as a trial lawyer, get in a, in a Grim Reaper suit and travel, to, if that's what needs to be done, that's what I'm going to do because people are not clearly not taking this seriously by their actions and by the government officials allowing beaches to be open to the world. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an unusual method. It's not a normal thing, clearly, but these are not normal times, and they require drastic actions. And, and it's, a, it's a signal to people that there's a time to enjoy the beach, but there's a time to protect life. And this, this time we need now is to stay at home and not spread this virus. And if a Grim Reaper costume or suit is something that is, will keep a few people away, and make them think twice, then, then I feel that I've accomplished something good for, for humanity. Wow. Uh, all right. Uh, that's quite an aspirational goal, but I can see your point. Certainly, you know, the fact well, that you'd have a certified attorney at law in the state of Florida wearing a Grim Reaper suit on the beach. We want to get back to normal. Uh, but anyway, Daniel, on that point, you know, it maybe is the thing, the symbolism of it all will cut through and draw more attention than, uh, you know, a whole... Uh, slew of blogs and social media, different types of commentaries and whatever else. Uh, there is something about this in its simplicity or uniqueness, I guess, that's going to get your message across. Uh, it's a stunt, I get it, but it might have some validity. So the idea, though, that, uh, you know, you had to sue the governor of the state of Florida, that's still in court then, is it? Yes, sir. Yes, we sued him last month after uh, I made repeated efforts to uh, get beaches closed, and they were closing in localities. And I asked the governor to do it statewide. He refused. I sued him. Then I su amended to sue him to do to shut down the state, which he did. Uh, but yeah, that we're still litigating that case because our governor is not taking it seriously. He's looking out for uh, interest of special interest rather than lives. And I, I understand Florida is very dependent on the beaches and our revenue comes a lot from that, but, but we have to be, take this seriously. So yeah, I, I sued the governor. I, <clears throat> I've gone a great length to try to, uh, to, to try to preserve uh, some, um, some form of rationality in dealing with this. And it's Florida is, is it, it, it's great. It's 
the government we have in Florida, the governor is very close to Mr. Trump, and he's got allies that are pushing him to open prematurely. And I'm I'm watchdogging this guy because I'm, I'm a second generation Floridian. I've got young kids here. I've got my parents here. You know, it, 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 I'm going to do whatever it takes within the bounds of the law. And, and as an American, I have the First Amendment right to speak out. And I've taken it to the courts. And I've taken it to social media. And now I'm going to take it to the beaches in a grim pursuit and say, hey, the time there's a time to go to the beach and there's a time to save lives. And this is a time to save lives. And this is this is that's how much I believe in this. So. And the parents uh, and the kids, the kids happy about dad's little gambit here? Or, I mean, how do they feel about it? Well, it, it kind of hit home the other day. My, I, we have a tent. Uh, my wife and I have two young kids who have been out of school for six weeks. And my son said to me the other day, he says, well, dad, what do you miss most about this whole pandemic? I said, I told him, I said, I miss going to the beach. I mean, I love the beach. That's it's my place of calm and, and you know, really helps me. But but this is a time of sacrifice. And and I know that we need to put a pause in this because we have the most beautiful beaches in the in the country. And mm-hmm. it's such a draw that, it, you know, my, my kid, they I mean, I've tried to instill in them that you've got to stand up for things. And, you know, it's it's, um, you know, in this day and age, you know, people need apparently they need they need immediate uh, images because they're not we're not taking this seriously enough. I still hear people talking about it being a hoax and being the flu and being a scam because we have leaders. but you're i get it i mean there's going to be the superhero component to it all because you're putting on the mask and the cape and with the sickle uh going to be going along the beaches you're going to target the places where people congregate uh boy it would have been good if you could have done this a couple of months back with the march break and all the people that were thronging to the beaches. i did it with the spring break i went in a hazmat suit what was a paint suit actually that's what this is not my first rodeo in a con <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, last month I went in a to the beaches in a paint suit. It looked like a hazmat suit with a mask, and I and I went and, I, and we were successful in getting. I think it helped close the beaches. I went. Really, to the you didn't scare the kids, didn't you? Scare the I mean, wearing a hazmat suit on a beach. What? If I scare kids to leave the beach and go back home, then that's fine. I'm good with that. But actually, they were saying I was. Yeah, one woman came up to me and she said, "You're you're causing a panic." I said. Good. I hope I cause a panic because this is middle of March of this year, and there's thousands of people on the beaches of Florida. You saw the images of the. When I viral. did. I did. Hey, Daniel. Just out of curiosity, yeah. What, what, what kind of law do you practice? I, I do litigation. I'm a trial attorney. I go. I'm. A, hmm. I'm. I'm a. I go to court. I do family law, real estate. Hmm. Uh, but I. So yeah, I do pretty much a lot of litigation. So it's. Um, I'm a passionate advocate, so I. And this is something I really believe in, and it's something I put my heart into. So, um, but well, we're going to look for the pictures. I mean, this is bound to make the news or the wire, uh, whatever the copy. We're going to look for it because uh, without the pictures, I mean, it's a great story, but the picture is worth it. Oh, least there will a be thousand. pictures. Yes, there. Yes, there will be pictures. I, I have no but doubt about that. I just want that. people to know that, that that we're that not all Floridians are. I mean, we. We, Floridians are getting a bad rap, I think, because of this, and, it, and it's it's a, it's a it's not a simple answer because our our state is so dependent on you know tourism. So it is it's a difficult thing, and so people are hurting and they're not making money. But we need to, I believe, in my heart, that 
we will get back to normal if we do this methodically because we're making progress, I think, with flattening this curve. And I'm just so worried that when what I saw last month with the spring breakers that Memorial Day in Florida is going to be insane. All right, so that's what it's come to. Look for the Grim Reaper, Daniel Ulfelder, attorney at law. I don't think we've seen the last of this guy, but this is the last for us as we're on a wrap. The Oakley Show Weekend Edition. Stay home, stay safe, and stay away. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 